to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Welcome to this very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're watching. Tonight, we're going to talk about some philosophies that you may only be a little bit familiar with, but philosophies that are hugely influential in our culture and our guest, Dr. Eric Wallace, you'll meet in just a moment. But I want to welcome you and I want to give the number because you might want to ask a question. Write this number down if you would. We'll take phone calls in a few moments, but the number for phone calls is 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. And I'll begin with a scripture from God's Word, Proverbs 14:34. The Word of God says this, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness lifts up a people. Uh, The Bible has so much to say about truth. The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament says, The day is coming when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Uh, Books like Romans chapter 1 and 2 talk about the downward slide of a culture when truth is abandoned when moral knowledge is even suppressed. And I think in our own culture, look, it doesn't, uh, you don't have to look far to see that we, we are paying the price for turning away from God, abandoning truth, and erasing moral boundaries. When a culture doesn't have truth as their anchor and objective moral knowledge like God has revealed, well, Uh, it turns chaotic pretty quickly. And our nation, I believe, is suffering from our abandonment of truth. Well, uh, someone that recently spoke at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, Dr. Eric Wallace, um, there's so much uh, wonderful uh, (laughs) truth in his bio. But uh, Dr. Wallace has graciously agreed to be with us. And he leads the Freedoms Journal Institute And uh, also, I want to commend you. If I'm correct, you were the first uh, African-American student to earn your Ph.D. at Union Seminary. Uh, Is that right, Dr. Wallace? That's correct. Thank you, Alex, for having me on. And and yes, it's actually called Union Theological. It was called Union Theological Seminary, but it's changed names at least three times now. Now, is Is that the one in Richmond, Virginia? It is. It is. It's now called Union Presbyterian Seminary. You know, I I grew up, um, one of the pastors, he he wasn't the man that led me to the Lord, but he definitely had a huge influence on my life. He was a great pastor, uh, and he's in heaven now, Reverend Edsel Huffstetler. When I first got saved and about four years into my own Christian walk, felt a call to the ministry, Reverend Huffstetler, who was a a proud graduate of Union, he gave me his theological library, which included many, many rare books. And so I've got a a fondness 
for the alumnus of that seminary because of uh, Reverend Huffstetler and now a uh, friend and colleague yourself. But um, give us a little background, and then I want to talk about critical race theory because this is such an important topic. You spoke about it at NRB, but uh, Dr. Wallace, tell us about yourself and how God has brought you to this part of your your journey in ministry. Wow, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the short version because I've been in ministry over 40 years. So, wow. Um, yeah, I, I gave my life to the Lord. I was 16, and um, gave my first. Uh, got involved in ministry at actually age 17. I gave my first sermon and I remember it very vividly because I didn't know half of what I was talking about, except that I need, I knew people needed to be born again. Right. And Amen. so my dad was in the audience and there are other folks at this new startup church. And I just said, you need to be born again. And it was so, I think it was so sincere. Either it was so good or so bad because people were crying. At, uh -huh. at, at the at the end and i and i you know my dad even had to walk out and was was crying so that was the start of my being called to to ministry um i was actually uh, originally intended to become an electrical engineer my mother got me enrolled in this um program at howard university uh because they wanted more black students to be in engineering and so i went to this summer program and i met this this other student named Walter Bell, whose dad was a preacher, and he had this track called The New Birth, and he gave it mm. to me. I was 16, and I read it, and I must have asked the Lord to come into my life about three different times because I didn't know what to expect, right? And right. Uh, eventually, you know, um, I had this dream. This actually was a nightmare that I woke up from. that was hiding under my covers and praying, and for some reason after that, I really felt like the Lord had really touched me and, and, and the whole experience of asking Christ into my life actually meant something. And from that moment on, I believed I was saved and, and that I knew the Lord and was looking to find a church to go to and be fed. Then later yeah. I got involved in, instead of going to uh, Howard University, I decided if I'm going to preach, I need to know what the Bible has to say. Right. And sure. so I went to Bible college. Um, I've got, two master's degrees in, in Old Testament, and my PhD is in uh, New Testament. Well, it's biblical studies degree is what they have, and then you either get emphasis in Old Testament or emphasis in New Testament. My emphasis was in New Testament. Mm, wonderful. Uh, I've got to ask you this. Um, do you have some favorite parts of biblical worldview? Like, uh, it's all wonderful, it's all God's truth, and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. my, my testimony is somewhat similar to yours, brother, but what, what parts of theology or biblical worldview are you most interested in? Wow, that's, that's an interesting question. I've never been asked that before. Um, one, of, one of the things that really strikes me is, is looking at trying to understand it. Well, we do a show called Kingdoms in Conflict. I'll do it this way. Kingdoms in Conflict. Uh, and those are both spelled with a K. Conflict is misspelled on purpose, but it's spelled mm -hmm. with a K. Uh, that one of the one of the pieces I had to write in my dis in when I was doing my doctoral study was on the Gospel of Luke. And it, it's funny that the paper I ended up writing ended up being the basis for the TV program. And so I, I was looking to the Gospel of Luke and writing a paper on it, and noticed that Luke has all these. Um, he mentions 
all these leaders like Caesar Augustus and Pontius mm. Pilate and all these in the first few chapters, right? And at first I used to think that it was just historical markers to show that, hey, Luke is centering his in history, right? Right. But then I started looking at it closer and started realizing, well, wait a minute, he's also making a statement. His statement is that Israel is under duress. They're controlled by a foreign power. And the king of kings, the king of glory ends up being born during this time. And so that's where we got the kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of God ends up invading the kingdom of men and ends up calling uh, people to loyalty to uh, the true king, the one and only king, not Amen. to. And so I look at that and I say, it's not necessarily to a political, it's not to a political party. It's to the kingdom of God. And Amen. we as Christians need to understand, instead of following the world and what the world is talking about, we need to understand, well, what is what does Jesus say about these issues? What does the Bible say about this? And be kingdom minded and not necessarily so tied to any particular political party because Jesus is neither Jesus nor the, nor the Father's Son or the Holy Spirit are Democrats or Republicans. And then right. somebody else reminded me they're not Americans either. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and by the way, folks, we're just talking with Dr. Eric Wallace. We're going to get to questions in a little while. And the number, if you have a question, 719-619-2341. Uh, Dr. Wallace, I've heard it said, and this quote was attributed to Abraham Lincoln, although I don't know if it's original with him, but uh, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the culture in the next generation. In other words, as you and I know, ideas have consequences. Philosophies and worldview has great consequence. And in, in our day, uh, let me just say 30 years ago when I went into grad school, you know, we heard a lot about relativism, moral relativism, the idea that we, we create our own moral truth. But today, I mean, things like uh, critical race theory, well, critical theory in general. I mean, these are important philosophies that only people might be tangentially familiar with, but they really, you've spoken about these things uh, because I believe they're very destructive. I believe they jeopardize our freedoms, which would include religious freedom. Well, let's talk about this. And here's my first way I want to segue this direction. Um, Christians today need to be aware of worldview, don't they? Yes, they do. They do. And they need to understand what a biblical worldview is. You Amen. Know, we, this is how, we, how we're going to navigate this whole thing. And I think there's a, I actually think there's a lack of understanding what a biblical worldview is. And, oh, absolutely. And I, and I think it's programs like yours and some of the things that we're doing, trying to get people to be aware that, again, kingdoms in conflict. There is this conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. And we need to understand what that is and start understanding how do we promote the kingdom of God and get people saved, not just in the church, but actually get them to be radical. I want, I'm looking for some radical Christians who will stand up and be flat-footed and say, transgenderism is not, is not part of the kingdom and it shall not go any further. Um, matter of fact, we're going to push back we push back on the whole, you know, gender identity, the, you know, the, what is it? Uh, the uh, pronouns, uh, right. you know, people talking about different pronouns and all this other kind of, kind of stuff. It's not, to me, I think we've been kind of, um, 
we've been flat-footed and and allowing the enemy to actually push us and to be louder than we are, and, mm-hmm. and it's actually shut us up. Because you talked about critical race theory, a lot of it yeah. is is trying to get you know white people to feel guilty about everything that was ever done to somebody black, right? Right. And right. act as though nothing has changed. It right. bothers me so much to look at this. The people act as though we're living back in the '40s and '50s um, when you know, we did have, you know, in 64, 65, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, we have had a number of laws that have been passed, and a lot of things have changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of things have changed. And, you know, um, the, it was the Democrat-led uh, South that all the Jim Crow laws, and look, I'm old enough, and I'm from the South. I remember, I remember when people would be just publicly racist out, um, you know, being from the South, you know, I, I heard the N-word growing up, um, and I will say, you know, that my mother and dad would have beaten my sister and me if we had ever used that word, and thankfully that was not a word that was heard or used in, in our house. But uh, Dr. Wallace, here, here's a mystery, and I'm just going to be as transparent as I can be, mm-hmm. that I, I've known a lot of black leaders, I've known a lot of black Christian leaders, and, and what's... Um, A puzzlement to me is that so many black pastors that I know they love the Lord and and I don't dispute that, but they are just unreservedly pro-Democrat. And I've had heart-to-heart conversations. I'm like, look, first of all, it, it was not the Democrat Party that was the party of abolishing slavery. It was the Republican Party. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm, but I'm simply speaking at so much of racism in the South was mm-hmm. uh, fostered by the Jim Crow Democrat. They called them Dixiecrats. And then nowadays, look, uh, the Democrat Party clearly has been much more for things that are ungodly, anti-biblical. So all of that to ask this question, why has black America even Christian Black America, been so intractably wedded to the Democrat Party. Uh, I, I find that so ironic. Yeah, that's a, that's the million-dollar question. And actually, I'm in the process of reading a book called Steadfast Democrats that was written um, by two— de- they're actually Democrats. I can tell by the way the book is written. But they were doing research to try and figure out what is the cause, what keeps— because they'll say in the book that majority of uh, of um, blacks are actually conservative, but they've oh, been yeah. voting the Democrat, and so they argue what they call racialized social con- restraint, is what they call it, racialized social constraint. And, and what does that mean? It's which means that because uh, you better not step outside the the political norm. Or there's there's going to be you got to pay a price, right? Mm. If they find out, your cousins find out, your family finds out you voted for Republicans, there'll be a backlash. Um, you'll get canceled, you know, things like that. So people who have a lot to lose, um, I don't because I didn't I didn't care. I, I wasn't mm. I didn't have a, a huge church. But so people with huge churches, if they come out and they support a um, Republican candidate. You can believe that some of the folks, if they have black parishioners, are going to leave that church. 
So they're, they're afraid of losing people. They're afraid of losing influence. They're afraid of, you know, not being, not being invited to some, whatever it is. They're afraid of not getting money, you know, special uh, handouts or something from, you know, I live live outside Chicago, right? So, and Chicago is one of the most. Oh, (laughs) intensely political cities. (laughs) And so to do that in Chicago, you could lose a job. You could lose, I mean, there's, there's a, you have to count the cost for them. And so uh, some, some black conservatives call it leaving the plantation. That's kind of derogatory to me, but I, I understand the, the 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 imagery, right? They're right. on a plantation. They they won't leave because because Massa has got you know is has got them under control, mm. and and on the and not only are they afraid of the backlash, but there's also this constant drumbeat about how racist conservatives are. Um, even when you talk about the Dixiecrats, I wrote an article on it about, you know, the Dixiecrats and what happened to them. A lot of people say, well, the party switched, right? Uh, the Republican Party used to be pro, you know, civil rights, but all of a sudden they decided, you know, with the Southern strategy and with the Dixiecrats even earlier, they decided to switch. And I write and I say, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why would the premier party that stood for civil rights all of a sudden change? It wasn't working for the Dixiecrats. So why would they pick that up? They they wouldn't. What they do is they try and go to the South and try to get some folks, you know, because the race baiting had had was dead. You couldn't, you know, using racism to get people to, to vote for this candidate or that candidate, it all had started to die out because the Dixiecrats wanted to, wanted to change the election. They wanted to pull out because they knew the Republicans were pro-civil rights. The Democrat Party started to see that they needed to change and they started moving in that direction as well. And so the Dixiecrats had no place to go. Mm-hmm. And so when they realized that they couldn't affect the, re- the election the way they wanted, the majority of them went back into the Democrat Party. There's only a handful that actually ended up coming into the Republican Party. And mm-hmm. the Republican Party didn't change their stance. The people right. changed who came in. Right. Uh, so how have the Democrats so successfully led people to believe that they are the party of compassion. Uh, We're for you. The Republicans are greedy, rich, you know, heartless conservatives. Uh, When, look, I I believe like with LBJ's Great Society program that, uh, you know, the the subsidizing of uh, basically the breakdown of the black family Here's my point. I think black Americans have suffered at the policies of the Democrats. And yet so many black Americans believe that we got to keep reelecting these Democrats. And I mean, the old question, how's that working for you? How how did they successfully win such a, 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 a voter block that is just staying under the the duress they've created well first of all like i said earlier you you paint your opponents as a bunch of racists you know i think biden said at one point you know they get elected they'll put you back in chains right um which crazy you know craziness right and then when you're giving away free stuff right um you know uh it it makes it 
kind of attractive to some people to say, hey, you know, but wasn't there a commercial or something that was out before when Obama got elected? Some black woman said he's going to he's going to pay my bills or help me pay my bills or something like that. Yeah. This expectation somehow that the government is going to take care of you. And. And the, and part of it is is our own society's fault, because it took if you look back at history and you look at Abraham Lincoln and what happened with freeing the slaves, it was the federal government that did that. Right. Right. And so. When you start thinking about what the federal government did to strike down uh, some of what was happening in the southern states, um, then you start saying, well, it's the federal government that will come to our aid. And then you've got FDR, uh, you know, uh, I forget what his his was called. It wasn't the Great Society. That's that's LBJ. New Deal. But you know, the big, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. The New um, Deal. And, and then you've got the, you know, all these other programs where they're trying to, you know, give you work and get involved in your life and tell you what to do and all this kind of stuff. Um, I can see where people who may be afraid of freedom, because freedom means just freedom to succeed, but there's also freedom to fail, right? That's true. And That's there's true. Some, people, some people don't want to fail and don't understand that sometimes you have to fail in order to succeed. Right. And, um, so that's so that's part of the problem, and and we and you've got people out there drum beating this drum, saying we need this is what we need. Uh, poor people need taxpayer money. Uh, I don't yeah. know anybody who's become rich because they were given money by the government. What yeah. happens is what's supposed to be a safety net ends up becoming a hammock, and they end up laying huh. there, and continue to become wards of the state, and right. it's, and it's counterproductive. We were we were built to go out and do some stuff. And then to take pride in the stuff that we did, not the negative yeah. kind of pride. We're supposed to take pride and say, "Yeah, look what, look what, look what God enabled me to do, right?" And uh, and to continue then to do that and find satisfaction in that—a good days, a good day of work, a uh, good day's work, at a good salary. I mean, just go out and and feel good about yourself, right? If you're not able to do anything and somebody else is taking care of you, man, uh, especially when you're paying women to have children. You know, every each child you get, you get you get more money, and you right. can't have a man in the home, so it ends up destroying the family. And you know, if you listen, if you read Thomas Sowell and the late Walter Williams, they talk about how the the family black family was intact almost as much, like eighty percent, something like that, of, of of black children were raised in two parent households back in the forties and fifties. It's not until yeah. the Great Society. And I argue if there's supposed to be reparations, it should be because of the great society <laughs> destroying ah. the destroying the families. Wow! And I'm not talking wow. I'm not talking about writing a a blank check. I'm just talking about hey, let's let's do some things that'll help turn this around. Let's do some right. things that'll help promote marriage, not destroy it. Right. And and look, the government has a vested interest in in promoting the family, doesn't it? Because it uh, and. Besides the, the religious implications, uh, we know that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman. But look, when you've got families and children and uh, you've got character and morals and virtue, uh, that builds a sustainable, great nation. Um, and really, I, I was actually listening to a show on NPR, Dr. Wallace, where and I was pleasantly surprised that this was on national public radio because usually they're to the left and wrong on most everything. But they were basically saying that the government has a vested interest 
in supporting what you and I would call the traditional family. Um, I think the, 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 the negative repercussions of the breakdown of the family, the light bulb must be coming on. And in academic circles, people are realizing that uh, we're, we're suffering for the, the erosion of the family, aren't we? Well, I would say that there are many people who want to see the family destroyed, though, because they have a I mean, getting back to critical race theory or critical theory in and of itself. You know, it's got Marxist uh, underpinnings. And and so the the whole idea is that, you know, the whole idea about oppression versus the oppressed, the oppressor versus the oppressed. Uh, that's their part of their paradigm. But they want to be freed from everything. Right. Their whole idea about freedom is to be free from any kind of um, any kind of standard, right? It's like it's like Eve who decided, you know, we want to have uh, we want to decide what is good and what is not good, and and so they they see Christianity as a, an oppressive religion, as an oppressive faith because there are certain standards. So you, thou shalt not, and thou shalt, you know, God yeah. has rules, right? But they right. don't want any rules. They want to throw off everything. That's why you. That's why people can run around and say there's there's more than one gender. You can move from, you know, being a male to a female and female to male, because they don't believe there there should be any kind of restrictions. There there aren't any standards. Uh, we we all know from Genesis chapters one through eleven. I mean that's that's basically where you get you know a lot of our information is the who God is. You asked me about one of my favorite verses is, is Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It establishes that God is sovereign and there's nobody else. I mean, the first two chapters, there is no, God has no uh, adversary. Yeah. He speaks and things happen. It isn't until Amen. chapter three that all, sudden, that all of a sudden Adam and Eve decide, you know what, <laughs> this God thing, you know, this fruit looks pretty good and it'll make one wise. So, who cares what he said? Let's go ahead and eat it. And so that's that's kind of the attitude of our society today. They either don't yeah. believe that God exists at all, or they uh, uh, or they don't or they don't care that God is one of those things. He's he's he set us up. What are those uh, folks called? The uh, those who believe in uh, theistic evolution, right? Yeah. That somehow yeah. God's, God yeah. set it up, and then you know uh, the evolutionary track continued on. Um, yeah. I don't believe any of that. I believe the Bible is the word of God and that God said he did it in seven days, did uh, six days and he rested on the seventh day and that he set up, he set certain laws. Of course, the first law was don't eat of that tree. And of course we couldn't even keep that one. So, <laughs> right. So, and, and notice yeah. that um, part of the way that the, the serpent Satan lured Adam and Eve into uh, disobeying God was he, he maligned God. Has yes. God really said, you don't mean it. God said this. You see, God knows that you, your eyes will be open. And ju just like, you know, liberals love to malign conservatives, you know, don't vote for a conservative because they're heartless and greedy and they want to take away this or that. Um, you know, slandering your opponent. Satan did it. People do it to this day. Um, hey, we're get, we've got a break. So much to talk about, folks. Our very special guest tonight on Truth and Liberty, Dr. Eric Wallace. Uh, Dr. Wallace, um, what, what are some websites where people can find you online? Well, behind me, I think you can see it. It says freedomsjournal.com. Okay. Freedomsjournal.com is where you can go and you can uh, get more information. There's a number of videos and 
and other things that are there for you to look at. You can also leave a donation if you like what we're doing. Um, Kingdoms in Conflict, the show that we do is on there as well. We also mm -hmm. have an app. You can download an app. Um, either go to okay. your app store and look for Freedom's Journal Institute is the full title, Freedom's Journal Institute. Uh, and we also have TV. We have an app for uh, Apple TV and for Roku. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, folks, if you've got questions about critical theory, critical race theory, what's going on with your ESG score and things like that, why these things matter and how your freedom and our Constitution itself is at risk, you need to stay tuned. We're going to take calls. The number 719-619-2341. More on this edition of Truth and Liberty. Stay tuned. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. So honored that you're watching. We are going to go to phone calls and questions in just a second. 719-619-2341 is the number. But I, I do want to remind everybody about the upcoming Truth and Liberty conference. Folks, this is amazing. And uh, today I went and I shipped some uh, the banner that'll be behind my table out there. This is a big event and I want you to be there. September 7 through 9, it is in Woodland Park, Colorado. Super easy to get to. It's just right near Colorado Springs. It's not, not far from Denver. Uh, whether you drive, whether you fly, you're going to hear incredible speakers like David Barton, uh, Janet Porter, Chad Connolly, who was the faith and values liaison for the Republican Party uh, in the last election cycle. I'll be there, Rich Attorney Pastor Richard Harris. So many great speakers. Go to the website, if you would, truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net, September 7 through 9. Now, uh, it's free. Uh, but they do ask you to register so they'll know how many people are going to be there. So if you would go online to truthandliberty.net, register, and we're going to be talking about the issues that will shape your future. Please pray for the conference. If you can come, uh, you will not be disappointed, I assure you. 
And then uh, the website, truthandliberty.net, we create a lot of content. I've got an op-ed that just appeared on townhall.com and a lot of content that Richard Harris is creating and I'm writing and Andrew Womack. So go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe and be a subscriber and we'll do our best to keep, keep ourselves updated on the information we need to stand strong for God and country. Well, we're going to go to some calls, and we're going to start in Colorado, where this excellent crew is running the show, but Andre in Colorado. Andre, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty with our very special guest, Dr. Eric Wallace. You're on, Andre. Thank you, Alex. Um, My question is for you, Dr. Wallace. And I hope I'm wrong here, but my experience has been um, I go on TikTok live and I listen to black voices, hosts and the people they allow to go live on their platform. And a theme um, that I've encountered and you've talked earlier about that um, there is there is a black conservative um, voice that's maybe not expressed fully. And they have conservative values that maybe um, aren't being uh, realized or appreciated. But one of the themes that I found on TikTok Live is the marriage between racism and transphobia. And so if I were to go on TikTok and say, I don't believe in this homosexual agenda or trans agenda, I would be called a racist. And and I'm just curious. I, I just can't. I can't understand um, how those two have been adopted, the, the, the gay and the trans um, communities have somehow been, been partnered and aligned with um, the black community to the point of it being racist if you're not in line with those two other communities. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, the um, the the LGBT, LGBTQ plus 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 or the alphabet mafia as it's been called is has kind of taken over the has joined with black liberals in this whole idea of um you know rights they have certain rights and if you know they're almost meld together and most actually most uh conservative uh, blacks don't agree with that um i spoke at a church the other day and or last week and it was clear as I talked about, um, you know, some of the things that are going on with the transgenderism and how it's how how your child can go to school and then, uh, you know, change their name, change their identity at school, but the school teachers won't tell you, right? They're not they're not allowed to tell the parents. And so, I don't I don't fully understand it either. Why? But I, I think well, here here's one point. I do think there's a lot of money that's going around that people are being bought, right? That white liberals and black liberals are are joining together and there's money in it. Um, the NAACP um, and other uh, uh, groups are acting as though, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're joining together and we're gonna do this thing together. And I, I do understand in strength there is numbers, but I don't, I don't, actually understand why why well, i do i just said that there's money there's money to be involved there's yeah there's there's and, opportunities uh um and, and, and if you 
Dr. Wallace, I was going to say this, that part of the way that they have sold this to people is that homosexual behavior is synonymous with an ethnicity. And, you know, I've, I've uh, spoken at many a university and they'll say, you know, if you're if you don't agree with gay marriage, you're racist. And I, I'm like, no, sexual behavior is not an ethnicity. And, uh, uh, you know. Uh, black, Hispanic, Caucasian, Asian, those are ethnicities. But right. homosexual behavior or gender fluidity, um, and look, I, as uh, doing Christian broadcasting, I have talked with literally hundreds of people that once engaged in the gay lifestyle but came out, that once were cross-dressers, and now they're not. And so, uh, and I'm not being trite or superficial. I've never met a former Hispanic. I've never met a former African-American because your ethnicity is an immutable characteristic, whereas sexual behavior can change. Um, but th this is one of the examples of the kingdoms in conflict or the battle of worldview that sexual behavior has been sold to unsuspecting citizens as if it were an ethnicity. Am I correct on that? I think you're right. And, and the, the, the groups have kind of melded together and decided they're going to support each other. The interesting thing is that there used to be a time when they would say that the LGBTQ community was one of the most racist communities, um, where, where oh, black really? lesbians felt they weren't welcome, uh, welcome there. And so it's interesting now that, you know, they have joined together and, and found some synergy in what they're doing. And I, and I truly believe there's a lot of money that's, that's moving around. People are getting paid. Folks are getting, um, uh, organizations are getting funding. And that's, but that's the way the left, that's the way the left is going. And I think some people have, have sold out. Um, I'm working on a, on a book right now that I hope will come out in November <laughs> called The Apostasy of the Black Church. Um, Wow. And it's taking a look at why 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 black uh, black why why black Christians are not necessarily voting their values or living out their faith, and that's the working title at the moment. Uh, that may wow. be tweaked a little, bit. but I'm I'm looking at and that's why I'm reading that book I told you about before, Steadfast uh, Democrats. Um, that there are folks who are continue to vote the Democrat Party, uh, who are actually conservatives, so they continue to support. I try and talk in terms of progressive versus um, conservative because I'm a 501c3. So yeah, I can't yeah. really, you know, say, hey, rah, rah, Republican Party, because I also believe the Republican Party's got its own issues as well, uh, yeah. especially if you live in a state like mine, Illinois. So, uh, right. so I try and keep it, it's a conservative ideology versus the far left liberal progressives. And the liberal progressives are destroying our schools. They're destroying our families. They're destroying our households. They're destroying everything. And it's actually, it turned everything that Dr. King talked about upside down. Oh, he absolutely. He talked about not being judged by the color of our skin. And that's exactly what they're doing. White people are, are racist. Black people are victims of what white people have done. And somehow we need, you know, was it ex Ibrahim, uh, ex-Kendi is talking about the one way to cure racism is for more racism. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, go ahead. 
Uh, we're we're going to, uh, we've got callers holding in. Uh, callers, if you have a question for Dr. Wallace, the number is 719-619-2341. We're going to go to uh, Donna in Texas. Donna, thanks for holding, and thank you for being a Truth and Liberty partner. By the way, folks, you can support Truth and Liberty, which is empowering countless lives to stand for God and country, a donation of at least $5 a month, a recurring donation. If you go to truthandliberty.net slash donate, uh, we would be most grateful, uh, and Donna does that. Thank you for being a supporter, and welcome to the program, Donna. My question is kind of off topic. It's a biblical question. Well, it's a question about, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> what it is, is if, if you've been a longtime supporter of a ministry every month giving donation, donation, and after about four or five years, you feel you still love that ministry, but you are thinking you would like to put that money into another ministry, how does that work? I mean, how is that? Is that okay? Or do you continue to give to the one ministry forever? Uh, well, God bless you. Uh, let me speak to this, and I'm going to let uh, Pastor Eric speak too. Um, I, I think the Holy Spirit leads you to do, to support in different ways. You know, there's tithes and there's offerings, and the Bible says... Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, but it says, let every man give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And um, I, I know my wife and I, we've uh, given a lot of tithe and offering money to different things. For one thing, the church where we go and when we moved across the country at one point in our life, we quickly joined a, a good Bible-believing church and we tithed and gave offerings there. We've sent money to a lot of places. So um, I, I think absolutely, as you feel so led, uh, God can lead you to support for a season. And maybe later on you pray and you feel led, you see a good work and you support somewhere else. Um, but I think the key in, in all of our financial giving is to pray about it and, and do as God leads and make sure that we're giving to things that not only uh, stand for the gospel, winning souls to Christ, but the Christ's great commission. Uh, but uh, Dr. Wallace, what do you say about giving? That's a great question. What do you say? I'm not sure I can add much more than what you already said. I, I, I mean, I agree with that, that obviously you're supposed to give to your home church, wherever you're being fed. Um, and I've always been taught that that's where your tithe goes. Um, mm -hmm. But if you want to give to other ministries, you know, give to the ones you feel are doing the the work that that uh, you want to support and that God has put on your heart to support. Um, we're we're constantly looking for people who agree with what you know where we stand, um, mm -hmm. looking for them to support the you know the mission that we have. So um, no, it's not. In my opinion, it's, it's you have to put your money where you feel like God wants you to put it. And if it means it's only for a season and you have to move it somewhere else, then you move it somewhere else. Um, uh, um, those people you've been supporting will find other people who will take your place or they'll get more. They'll come from somewhere else that God leads to support that ministry. 
And, and Donna, uh, I, let me commend you uh, for being faithful in your giving and let me commend you for being deliberate and thinking and praying, praying about it. I, I will say this, folks. Um, having spoken in a couple of thousand American churches, every now and then in the lobby, you'll see, you know, the balance sheet from a recent business meeting or something like that. And a lot of churches, they run on very small margins. But I, I was in a church lobby, and it, it wasn't that big of a church. But in uh, their savings account, it was on the balance sheet that was in the vestibule. They, they had like $5 million in the bank. And, uh, you know, it was a church that probably had an annual operating budget of maybe $250,000. And I thought, well, they, they're, they're sitting on a nest egg of $5 million. They don't, they don't need my giving. And in fact, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just speaking here as Alex. I'm not a big fan of hoarding away money. Put that money to work for the gospel. Um, and so um, look at where the need is. Look at where the fruit is being born. And then, of course, the most important thing of all, how is the Holy Spirit of God leading you? But God bless you, Donna. Um, folks, uh, we're going to go to Diane in Massachusetts, also a Truth and Liberty partner. Diane, thank you for supporting Truth and Liberty. And uh, I've got to ask you, how, how's the spiritual temperature in Massachusetts? How's the the Christian work in Massachusetts going? Oh my goodness! Um, well, there there are little patches of uh, you know I'm a Karis Bible College graduate, so um, there's a little patches here and there of churches that are uh, aligned, you know, with uh, what Karis um, teaches. Um, but there are no big works here. But I'm believing that the Lord is. Uh, needs needs some workers, you know, to get Amen. in there and, and do the work. So I'm I'm excited about what God wants to do. And I actually thought about the fact that he wants us to make disciples and I think what Karis Bible College needs and, and maybe churches is um a you know, some kind of discipleship course for children. So we don't wait till they get to be twenty and thirty years old and then try to give them a biblical worldview or, um, you know, just what it means to be a disciple of, of Jesus. So Amen. I'm, I'm think, thinking about that. But my question, I'll, I'll go along because I know things can get long and other people have questions. Um, I had, um, I was, I, I live in a, an apartment building that's 55 plus, you know, people 55 and older. And they're, I think they're all white here. I, I don't, I think there's anybody black. But anyway, um, the people here are very anti-Trump, just to the point of like, oh, oh, I just get so upset. And when Joe Biden gave his uh, message with the red background and said that MAGA Republicans are the most dangerous people in America, um, there was another man in the room when I was watching the TV because I was down in the TV room just watching it. And he was there. And and I said to him, I said, uh I won't say his name. I said, you know, I said, well, I'm a mega Republican. I said, do you think I'm one of the most dangerous people in America? And and he said, no, you know, because he knows me. We've had lots of long conversations. And I said, all right. So I said, so why do you vote Democrat? I mean, I'm not looking for a fight. I said, just why do you vote Democrat? You know, just honestly, I, you know, I'm not going to. I could debate him, you know, and uh, I said, I just curious about it. And he said, because I'm poor. And I thought to myself, 
That is such a strange answer, but it goes along with what you were discussing earlier, is that despite the fact that our country is in such a turmoil and things are so much more expensive, because I talk about that all the time. Oh, it's so expensive. Things have gotten so much more expensive. And I think to myself, yes, but you're against Trump who made things way less expensive, but yet, and you hate him. And always oh, a rich fool. And I mean, I just hear so many just crazy comments. Yeah. You know, he's not above the law and all this kind of stuff. And um, and I just wanted it just it struck me. I thought, what do you, how do you answer that? What do you what yeah. do you say to someone that they believe that the Democratic Party is going to help them because they're poor? Mm. Dr. Wallace, what, what what do you say to these habitual Democrat voters, even though things have gotten worse? Was this? Do you know whether this this gentleman is a Christian? Or claims to be a Christian. Um, he, he's he's Catholic. He's Catholic. Well, a lot of our ministry is, is to the Christian community because we've been trying to get Christians. Actually, uh, uh, our mission is to advance the kingdom of God through social, political, education, and engagement rooted in a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking to somebody else, you know it's. Be careful of, of the um, of the organizations or the government that says they're here to help poor people, because uh, they'll be there to help you stay poor because they know that you're you're their constituents. So it mm-hmm. it it it, it uh, it's in their best interest actually to keep you coming back and 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 relying on the government to you know to send you money or to take care of you or what have you. Uh, be telling the guy you need to be able to. We want a government that helps us stand on our own feet. And we want a government that helps protect us from people who want to take our our stuff, all the things that we've worked for all our life. And that's the that's the uh, conservatives who are running for office who who want to keep government from intruding because to be able to give him money, you're able to take care of him. The government's got to take money from somebody. And it's interesting that a lot of people don't seem to understand. There was a real quick. There was a a. a a newspaper that the the owner actually ended up dying and he wanted to to give it to his children uh to take over this newspaper i won't say the name of it but they couldn't take it on because of a death tax um and this was a black newspaper and really? black people who wanted to take it over and actually run the newspaper but they had to sell it because they couldn't couldn't afford to keep it so in this whole thing about tax the rich and you know take money away from other people to give it to the poor it ends up eventually biting you because it because it because it doesn't work, um, they'll never have enough money to redistribute money. They talk about redistributing the money. Money's not redistributed. Money is earned, and people who have money have it because they earned it. And we need to be talking to people about how to how to earn the money, how to become rich if you want to be rich, how to be able to take care of yourself. Uh, a lot of people just don't just don't know, and they've been told yeah. they've been sold a bill of goods that somehow the Democrats are going to take care of them, and that's not you know. That's just moving one pot of money from somebody else and giving it to somebody else. It's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul, as they say. Uh, Dr. Wallace and everybody listen to this. Uh, Dr. Wallace, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1963 Pulitzer Prize winning book, Why We Can't Wait. Uh, you're, you're familiar with that book, I trust. Uh I, I understand. I know he talked about that. Why we can't wait? Right. Not, I have not read. Yeah, well, and and it really was his 
um, manifesto for the civil rights movement. And so I got that book like a decade ago because I was on the road speaking, and I read that book three times. And I would urge everybody to read it because you'll be very struck. Uh, and like I say, it won a Pulitzer. And his book, Why We Can't Wait, among other things, it contains the very famous letter from a Birmingham jail. But he, here's what's amazing. The book is steeped in Christianity. I mean, it just is so full of scripture. It is so full of biblical worldview. And we should have equal rights because we're made in God's image. And when I show respect and deference to you, I'm honoring the one whose image you bear. It's a brilliantly written book. But there's a section in that book, Dr. Wallace, that where, where Martin Luther King Jr., he said um, one thing that, and, and his word, the, the Negro, was written in 1963. That's the mm -hmm. word he used. He said, but the American Negro must not be, quote, in the hip pocket of any one political party. And, and I'm reading that, and Dr. King argues that you need to follow principles, not party. And he said it would be disastrous for the American Negro to be in the pocket of one single political party. And I read that and I thought, and yet that's, that's precisely what's happened. Isn't that ironic? That is, it is. Now, now you make me want to run out and go get the book so I can read it because I want to get, I want to pull that out because uh, I've been yeah. trying to tell folks that, especially Christians, we shouldn't be in the political party, the pocket of any political party, period. Um, yeah. Obviously, the Republican Party right now reflects more of our biblical worldview, right? But as you know, there's a lot of people in the, in the uh, Republican Party that don't share our worldview and our Democrat light. So, um, wow. It's well said. There is incumbent upon us to, you know, always be aware of who's running for office and who we're going to vote for, what they stand for, and don't just assume. Um, now, it's it's hard because you know we know that the left is pretty much taking over the Democrats, um, and they're going to try and take over the uh, Republican Party as well. And there may come a time where we've got to start our own independent. Uh, party. I don't look forward to that day because that's hard to do. Um, my hope is that Jesus returns before that, <laughs> before Amen. that happens. Amen. Um, well, what would you say to Diane? G give her some talking points, if possible, about how to um, influence her, her Democrat friends. We'll just talk about how, um, I mean, I always talk about there's a difference between how we look at government and try and figure out what he feels government is supposed to do for him versus what he's supposed to do for himself. Um, that's That's been the biggest, I mean, since the United States was, it was started, the question is how big should government be? And what should its function be in our lives? And you can argue from that point, um, is it fair to be able to take money from somebody who's worked for it all this time? and then to, to redistribute it the way the government sees fair. Because if the government can take your money, if your government can tell you you've got to wear a mask and you, you need to shut down your, your, uh, your business because of, because of COVID, instead of telling people, okay, you're, you're, you're adults, you can make up your own mind. This is what's happening. COVID is out there. It's real. 
it is a you can catch it and people have died from it. So you need to make up your mind about whether you're going to go out, whether you want to trust God or you know, get the vaccine or whatever it is you want to do. Just as grown adults, make up your own mind and, and have the freedom to be able to do that, as opposed to having somebody tell you, you've got to close down, you've got to stay inside your house. How much power do you want to give to somebody else to control your life? And, um, you know, you, you argue those points uh, because God gives us freedom. God gives us choices. Um, are we allowing the federal government to now play God in our lives to say, you know, I'm getting rid of all your choices? God gives us choices to make good choices or to make bad ones or to make some maybe uh, gray hair choices. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, trusting, learning to trust God and to uh, and to live out your life based on what you believe God is calling you to do. Even even good Catholics should be able to understand um, should be able to understand that. Mm. Uh, very, very helpful. Diane, thank you for that good question, and thank you for being willing to influence those, those around you. Folks, if you're tuning in, uh, we're talking with Dr. Eric Wallace. Um, give, give your website again, freedomsjournal. Freedomsjournal.com, which is behind me, freedomsjournal.com. Uh, if you go there, you'll find all kinds of videos. And, and actually, I forgot to mention that the, uh, we actually have a, a 50 $50,000 matching gift. So if people do want to give, um, your your donation will be doubled uh, up to $50,000. We just got that recently. And I've been forgetting wow. to mention that to people. Uh, so we're, we're, we're thanking the Lord for that. Um, we yes. actually have a Black Conservative Summit that we did this past year, and we're getting ready to wow. do it again next year, April yes. 4th through the 6th. There's information on, uh, on the website. Um, to find out more about that. And it's not just for black people. We call it Black Conservative Summit because we want people to know that there are black conservatives here. The majority of folks who are speaking will probably be black conservatives. But the last one we had, we had Hispanics, we had Asians, we had blacks, we had whites. It looked like heaven, to be quite honest. Amen. So um, we're, we're not like black liberals who will tell you to stay away. We're black conservatives who tell you to come. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, come. Because it's more about serving the Lord and showing Showing other folks, hey, hey, we got a break. Hold that thought, folks. More with Dr. Eric Wallace on this edition of Truth and Liberty. Stay tuned. This is a godly nation. It was founded upon godly principles. God is calling us to rebuild His house so that He can manifest His glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world. I would argue that America has been more prosperous, more successful than any other nation because we've done more in reading and applying the Bible. It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. It's not enough to know what God's will is, but you have to learn how to do things God's way. Now, because of the new man on the inside of me, because of the cross, I can daily deny self. And if you don't learn to do that, you're not gonna fulfill all God's will for your life. 
You know, you don't find the beginning of God until you get to the end of yourself. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's Proverbs 14:34. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here. So honored to be speaking with Dr. Eric Wallace. If you've got a question about what we're talking about, critical race theory and the, the, the struggle for principled freedom, the Judeo-Christian worldview that built our nation versus wokeness, progressivism, liberalism, Marxism. If you've got a question, the number is 719-619-2341. It's a fact that, uh, you know, the old saying, nature abhors a vacuum. As the Christian presence diminishes or is pushed out of the way, look, it's not going to be just empty space. Something will come in to fill that void, and that something is a militant secularism. Dr. Wallace, you know, um, it's not just this neutrality. I mean, there is a militant push to make people more woke. And the the sad thing is it's young people. They're going after young people. Um, We've got calls coming in, but I want to ask you this. Uh, Back to critical theory, do you believe that is it's like all of education, K through 12, public universities, have they fallen all under the sway of critical theory? Oh, the short answer is yes. I think um, if they haven't all fallen, they're, they're, they're falling and there's only a few. I mean, it's even getting into some Christian schools, mind you. Yeah. Christian colleges where they're, you know, they're saying, yeah, that, you know, the critical race theory period, critical race uh, theory people are are correct. We've done this, we've done that, and we need to apologize and all this kind of stuff. Um, you can't be held responsible for what somebody did, you know, 200, 400, 300, 500 years ago. And you can't, you can't fix it re- with reparations because the people who should have paid the reparations, don't get me wrong, I think reparations is actually a biblical concept, but it needs mm-hmm. to come from the person, the people who actually caused the harm <laughs> to the person who was actually harmed, right? And all these people are dead, right? Yeah. So, you're not you're not going to fix any of that. And so into this vacuum comes and it's and it's been created. I wanted to read you a um a quote from Antonio Gramsci. Oh uh, yes. Who was Italian Marxist and philosopher. I have to look off to the side because it says socialism is precisely the religion. He calls it a religion. Socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. And in, in the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. Mm. Uh, we, we talk about Gromsky. And, and uh, Dr. Wallace, you know, uh, we say this, that, look, folks, listen, whether you are going into business or medicine or education or wherever your career path and the trajectory of life leads you, go there, but take your biblical worldview with you. Because uh, wasn't it Gromsky that challenged his fellow Marxists to make, quote, the long march through the institutions? Uh, yeah. Those, those of us that love God and country, we've got to now make the long march through the institutions, don't we? Amen. Amen. He saw those institutions, those Christian, dominantly Christian institutions, 
as the, the cultural hegemony that was controlling everything. He wants to go in now and undo all of that. And that's why they call it cultural Marxism. They want to take over the culture. And to mm. do that, the only thing really standing in the way is the church. And when the church starts to fall, then, and it won't. Look, I don't believe the church, because the church is the church of Jesus Christ, right? Amen. And it'll always be, right? But there'll be fewer and fewer who are willing to stand up. And our thing is what we're trying to do with Freedom Journal Institute and the Black Conservative Summit and Kingdoms in Conflict is to try and build up uh, that tipping point so that things start to change in the in the in the black community and anybody who wants to hear it from us because we we talk about the um the church in general and the african-american church in particular that's who we're going after the church mm -hmm. in general but the african-american church in particular uh to stand for what we say we believe and to mm -hmm. actually engage in the political process that represents us and so we want to be that spear we want to be that missionary outreach if you will that goes to our brothers and sisters in christ uh, with some true discipleship, because my my thing is, our uh, our Christianity should affect every area of our life, including including how we vote. Amen. Uh, I know we've got callers. We've got a question that's come in online. Uh, what is the real goal of BLM, Black Lives Matter? What is the real goal, uh, Dr. Wallace? Could you speak to that? I think their goal is to continue to to form strife. To continue to uh, to be an agitator, they're they're part of this whole um, critical theory piece. They want to destroy our society, and once it falls apart, because they said that they were um, they were actually Mark trained Marxists, right? So they've got a Marxist ideology that they're trying to push. They want our society to fall apart, and then for the the socialists to come in and take over. That's mm. you know all of this stuff. There are tentacles everywhere, right? And yeah. Uh, and it's and it's throughout BLM. It's not about it's not about rights. Uh, matter of fact, someone once said that the issue is never the issue. And so it's not about George Floyd. It's not about black men and women being shot by white cops. It's it's about causing anarchy. And then once anarchy sets in, you usher in your folks to say, hey, "We've got the answer," and it'll be the socialists who are trying to take over. It, it really is the, the unrest. And let me just say all of the, the homelessness, like in not only Western cities like, um, you know, Portland, Oregon and Minneapolis and Seattle, but there in your own uh, region of Chicago, I mean, there was this uh, influx of homeless people living in O'Hare Airport. I saw it. I was at O'Hare. I saw it. Um, you got to understand, folks, the, this unraveling of the stability of the country is being encouraged. Flash mobs, all of, you know, rushing into a store, robbing stores, creating unrest. It's, it's an intentional manufactured anarchy so that socialism can be shoehorned in as the order is, is disrupted. Am, am I right on that? Yeah, and and Alex, actually, if you, if you really think about it, they're fighting against what they're calling uh, Western European influence, right, <laughs> yeah. through Christianity, and it's and it's and I laugh because it's it's so duplicitous. Because where do you think um, Marxism comes from? It comes from white Europeans, <laughs> and Christianity comes out of the Middle East. Yeah, it, exactly. 
Christianity comes out of the Middle East. And yeah. it was in Africa before it was in Europe. So, you know, it's like since the Ethiopian church was established yeah. long before, you know. So you uh, got the Ethiopian eunuch going down to Ethiopia. He, he gives his life to the Lord. You know, this is, exactly. Do, do you know what? I've, I've got a friend. He's an attorney and a pastor. Um, I, I need to get him on the show. Uh, a, Abraham Hamilton III. Do, do you happen to know yes, Abraham? I know, I know. Uh, he, he's a great friend, uh, uh, just a beloved friend. Um, he is a black attorney and pastor, and he gives yes. a talk on how every Christian is indebted to Christianity that came out of Ethiopia. You know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, one one of the yeah. uh, misnomers of the left is that Christianity is quote a white man's religion. When you know. We know it a, came out of the a, Middle that's East. A lie of the enemy. That's a lie of the enemy, and people have bought that lie for a long time. And it's about time we set the record straight because there were there were Africans, there were you know, there were Asians, there are all kinds of people. The, the gospel was spread all over the uh, yeah. all, all over the place, and eventually went to the. And the only reason why the, the church in Europe has been strong is because the churches in the in uh, in the East were actually. Uh, a lot of them were slaughtered because of the because of Islam when Islam came through. Uh, well, and l- listen to this. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, cancel culture has taken its uh, you know eraser to so many things. All right, I was doing some research for a book about four years ago, and I learned I didn't know this that Scottish slaves were taken. There were Islamic pirates, slave ships, yeah. and they in they enslaved at least 200,000 Scottish people, and some think as many as 400,000 from the, uh, the around 1600 to the early 19th century. So over a, a period of about 300 years, um, or 250 years, some two to 400,000 Scots were taken slave, some sold in Europe, some sold in the colonies. All right, here's my point. I'm a McFarland. I'm of Scottish extract. I had no idea that, you know, quarter million of my ancestors were slaves. And I thought, wow, um, you know, who owes me reparations? Well, nobody, because, you know, I've never been a slave. I've never owned a slave. But the the fact is, every ethnicity at one time or another in world history, sad that fallen sinners have enslaved fellow human beings. Um, It's unfortunate. We condemn it. But but that's just been a a reality of human beings in a fallen, sinful world, hasn't it? Amen. Amen. Thomas Sowell speaks a lot about this. Matter of fact, he mentions that the Moors uh, how the Moors took a number of different a number of white slaves from Europe, and that the white slave trade was even more prolific than the black slave trade, uh, a transatlantic uh, slave trade. But you know, Africans enslaved other Africans, Europeans enslaved other Europeans. I mean, that's just the way it was. You you enslaved the people that lived next door to you. <laughs> you went and took their stuff, and when you and if you didn't kill them, you enslaved them, right? And so, yeah. so the choice is either enslavement or death, right? And some people took enslavement, okay. Uh, and then in Africa, it you know, Europeans didn't go into the into the bush to to get slaves. They couldn't do that. They 
they they would either be killed by other Africans or the, or they'd be killed by the uh, diseases. And so, you know, other Africans sold other sold Africans to the Europeans in exchange for guns and booze and you know rum, whatever, uh, and and other trinkets. Um, and then they took them to the the New World. Uh, you know, to actually uh, most of the black slaves actually went to Brazil. So there were more more black slaves going that went to Brazil than ever came to the United States. But we act as yeah. though the United States is the only place that ever had slavery. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's it's the it's it's the hyperbole. It's it's the you know because because we want something. People understand that we can make at least blacks on the far left understand that they can get something from white people to try and make them feel guilty about everything that ever happened to black people here in the United States. So they're not going to talk about any place else. They're going to talk about what happened here. They're going to talk about the 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 you know the how how some blacks were treated on some some plantations, uh, how they were cruelly treated treated. They're going to talk about you know we're victims and that you know never the name of our our organization is Freedom's Journal Institute. It started out as Freedom's Journal magazine, but it came from the first black newspaper, which was published in 1827. Okay, wow. these were free black that started this started this newspaper. It only ran for two years, but part of what they said was they they felt like they wanted to be able to talk about it said for too long had others spoken for them for too long have there been misrepresentations of the things that are are dearest to them and when i read that i said i can identify as a black conservative because for too long other people try and talk for us who you know i didn't i didn't elect jesse jackson or anybody else to talk for you know like they talk for all black people they don't talk for me and mm -hmm. uh and so we wanted to aggregate the black conservative voice and so we did that in the magazine, and then we decided, you know what, we want to do something more than just a magazine. Let's do an institute. So we kept the name. I know some people would tell me, well, Freedom's Journal, I mean, that's not a, you know, for, as a marketing tool. A lot of folks don't even know what Freedom's Journal is, but I'm like, that's okay, they need to know. And as we and as we grow, as we get our name out there, people will get to understand, okay, this was the first black newspaper. And we're using that name to say something about what it means to be, a black conservative who overall identifies as a Christian. Right. Well, again, for those just tuning in, does, explain what critical theory is. And, and by the way, is there a difference between critical theory and critical race theory? Well, critical theory is the overall umbrella of all the critical theories that are out there. So there's critical, uh, critical queer theory, there's critical race theory. There's critical. There's a number of different critical, critical whiteness studies, um, critical uh, legal studies, and that's where um, Derek Bell was most influential. Um, and and this all comes out of the, um, uh, what's the name of school? It's it, uh, Harvard. Derek no, Bell was at Harvard, right. wasn't he? Oh, the Frankfurt School. That's what I was looking for. Oh, oh I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, the but, Frankfurt School. The, the, the Frankfurt School. But it's all based on, on Marxist presuppositions. And I mentioned before that the oppressor versus the, uh, the oppressed. And of course, you know, anybody who tries to give you any kind of rules for society or anything else, they're the oppressors. They're oppressing you. And it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical oppression. It's just it's just oppression. And, and one of the things that they they want to talk about is uh that that bell talked about was um was race 
that white people are always, they don't do anything unless there's something in it for them, right? And so racism is ordinary, he says. It's not an aberration. Right. Um, that all white people are, are now he doesn't say anything about blacks, but he says all white people are racist. Oh, that's right. You can't be a racist unless you have power, right? You have to have power in, in order to oppress somebody. And white people have all the power. So he would say um, that black people can't be can't be racist. And you've heard, I don't know if you've heard that before, but I've heard it before. Oh, yeah. people say you can, yeah. I know a lot of people who are. So uh, uh, and and that uh, you call a racial social construct, then there's material determinism or what do you call interest convergence? And that meant that um, <clears throat> that white people won't ever do anything out of benevolence. They only do it if there's some material advantage for them, right? So right. you may get some kind of uh, the civil rights movement, right? He said that only happens because white people felt like there was something in it for them. Um, they won't do it out of benevolence so, or because well, of- Let me ask you this. Yeah. Who are some of the predominant are there names people would know the predominant advocates of critical race theory that are active in our country today? I had some names of some some folks that um, are pushing this. Oh well, you all know about Ibrahim Xkendi, yeah. who says the only reason, uh, the only remedy for racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. <laughs> the only remedy to uh, to present discrimination is future discrimination. Clearly, he has not read the biblical text. Uh, right. Uh, um, and for so for Christians, this is just a non-starter, right? Right. And I'm trying to find the name. There's there's names of 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 a couple of Christians. There was one. Um, I can't find it on my. Um, Well, you know what? I did, a, I, did a, I did a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, what's been a challenge is among Christian leaders. Uh, on on the one hand, there are there are milk toast Christian leaders that just really wouldn't speak uh, anything politically. Uh, there are so many pastors that are just very timid, and they they stay silent. And you know, I call a lot of the pastors, you know, B grade motivational speakers. They would never. They would never really help their congregation <laughs> drill down deeply and learn biblical worldview and the battle that we're in. Like you said, the kingdoms in conflict. And then there are preachers that are liberal and they're, they're just like mouthpieces for social justice as the left defines it. And there are, you know, I, I'm thinking of of a guy right now in Baptist circles, very influential, a guy named Ed Stetzer, who's just been very much uh, promoting uh, liberal ideas. There's another guy in, in the Southern Baptist world. He's not there anymore, but now he's the head of uh, Christianity Today, uh, or one of the editors, a guy named Russell Moore, that basically... Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, and you've got, you, you got a lot, Letitia, excuse me, Latasha Morrison, who wrote this book, Be the Bridge, Pursuing God's yeah. Heart for Racial Reconciliation. Um, I wrote a piece about this it's it's terrible and her at biblical exegesis is terrible uh you got dr eric mason who wrote yeah. the woke church uh yeah. an urgent call for christians in america to confront racism and injustice and then david french 
you know, the, the Christian political commentator. Uh, you know, some of these guys are out there spreading this stuff and they haven't been really critical of it. Uh, I wish I wish I had a chance to talk to some of them because, you know, they'll they'll talk about disparities, saying that because of disparities and how much money blacks are making versus whites and all this, all this, uh, that there are disparities in everything. Thomas Sowell yeah. mentions that disparities are the norm. They're the norm. There are disparities yeah. in our own household for how people yeah. perform and they go out and do stuff. So it's you can't use disparities to show you're not going to have, they say, blacks are 13% of the population. We're well, not going to get 13% who are lawyers, 13% dentists, 13%. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. It just doesn't. We're overrepresented in sports. We're overrepresented in, in entertainment. And why yeah, and is that? Because a lot of kids see that and decide they want to be that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, y you're right. And there, there's a phrase, folks, listen to this, the phrase non sequitur, which means it doesn't follow. Uh, non sequential. All right. I had uh, a, a very liberal black pastor say to me that uh, white churches are racist. He said, I can prove it. Go to any white church on a Sunday morning and the audience will be predominantly Caucasian. And I, I never really knew how to answer that. But one Easter, all right, like the third largest predominantly black church in America is in North Carolina. And there was one Easter, I didn't have anywhere to preach. And I said to my wife, I said, mm. let's, let's worship at this particular church. Well, we went in on Sunday, Easter Sunday. It was glorious. It was wonderful. We heard the gospel. Well, out of about 4,000 people, I'm going to say you could have counted on less than 10 fingers the white people that were there, and my wife and I were two of them. But it's just because it's a predominantly black church. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're racist because there weren't any whites there much. It doesn't necessarily mean that the white church is racist. It's just um, people go where they go, you know? And so uh, all of that to ask. Sometimes we self-segregate. Sometimes we self-segregate because of culture yeah, we, and other things that lead us to do that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's a non sequitur to automatically conclude, oh, racism caused this. That's no, just people go where they go. Am I am I right? No, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, and you know, a lot of Latinos go to Hispanic churches that, that are speaking Spanish. Well, that wouldn't work for me because I don't speak Spanish. Uh, exactly. I've seen Korean churches, they speak Korean. Um and and people sometimes self-segregate because of culture, because they they like a certain type of music or they like a certain worship style or whatever. Yeah. Um we shouldn't make a big deal out of that. I mean, I think I think uh one of one of our rights is the right to, to assemble, right? We get to assemble yeah. with who we want to assemble with, and and different times of the day we assemble with with some people who think more. I, I would rather assemble with people who are Bears fans than people who are not, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> Chicago well Bears. There we go. Hey, we're going to go to Colorado. We, we got to call James in Colorado. Uh, James, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty with our special guest, Dr. Eric Wallace. Welcome, James. Well, yes, thank you for taking my call. It's a great show. And I'd just like to say that, you know, while we all agree that slavery uh, is horrendous, uh, no matter where it is in the world or time, I'm just wondering, what was the um, underlying force that ended slavery in America? Good question. The underlying force? 
I would say it was the, yeah. the, uh, the, the, the church that there were, there were mostly abolitionists were, were believers from what I understand. And, uh, they pushed to, uh, you know, get rid of, get rid of slavery. And I think some would even argue that there was a great awakening that took place before, Amen. before Lincoln ended up, um, giving the emancipation proclamation, uh, that didn't, I mean, this, this gets <laughs> emancipation proclamation, as you know, didn't free all the slaves It freed all the slaves that were being held by the rebellion, rebelling States. Right. And it was only a military provision because the, the South felt, uh, treated the slaves as property. And Lincoln decided since, um, you know, if you conquer somebody, you could take their property. So he emancipated, uh, and that's why he ended up pushing the 13th Amendment to get it done before the war was over. I think mm -hmm. the, the movie Lincoln does an excellent job in, in showing that. But I think to your point, I think it's the church um, that actually I agree. pushed. <clears throat> you, you know, James, uh, that's a great question. There, there are a lot of books that we could um, read or point to, but I, I've got a book called Rediscovering Our Evangelical Heritage. And the author's name escapes me, but uh, it was published about 20 years ago. And there, there is a fair amount of the book that talks about abolitionist societies that, that were created. And Dr. Wallace, as I'm sure you know, they were Christian. They were overwhelmingly Christian. They were calling for the abolition of slavery because uh, for, for a couple of reasons, one, constitutionally, you know, the De Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, undeniable truth that all men are created equal. So if life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, uh, if these are our natural rights, they apply to all human beings. But the abolitionist societies embrace not only that, but of course, the Bible, Genesis 127, God made us male and female, we're made in the image of God. And of course, um, one human doesn't have any right to own or enslave another human. But it was, Dr. Wallace, the biblical worldview, the biblical worldview that drove these abolitionist societies and ultimately, praise God, slavery was outlawed. Um, but it was their their view of God and humanity, wasn't it? Yes, and you know you got people in the United States who are fighting against it. You had William Wilberforce in England fighting against it, and uh, they understood. Um, I can't remember the, exactly where the verse is, but there's a verse I think it's in Exodus that talks about man stealing. That man stealing is wrong, um, mm -hmm. and so and that's what slavery was. They were they were stealing people from their country and taking them somewhere else. And um, it was prohibited in scripture. Um, now, there is a certain type of slavery that goes on or servitude that goes on in the Bible. But I think that's also used as a, to understand our relationship, you know, to God. The same Greek word, and I believe the same, same in Hebrew as well, can either mean slave or can mean servant. Right. And the question is, you know, for us, do we want to be a slave to sin or do we want to be a servant of the one true God and follow him? And so, so yeah. Um, the church, wow. the church was instrumental. Uh, I've got to ask this. We've only got about two minutes left. Um, mm -hmm. Do you do you believe that in America that we'll be able to right ourselves? Um, you know, I, I'm I'm getting to the point, Dr. Wallace. I'm I'm very concerned 
for the preservation of the U.S. Constitution. Um, with the minute and a half, two minutes we've got left, do, do you think that we will remain a constitutional republic? That is an excellent question. And uh, I'm concerned like you are. Uh, that's why we do what we do with Freedom Journal Institute, because actually if we can help bring more of our black, uh, black and brown brothers over to vote their values, um, some of this will be stopped in its tracks. Um, so we work, you know, to try and change minds and hearts and to be this tip, uh, tipping point. Uh, if that doesn't happen, you're right. I, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I don't see, there's a big question about whether, you know, where do we see the United States in biblical prophecy? And I'm not sure it's there. And if it's right. not there, then it means that this country will fall, um, maybe before Antichrist is actually revealed and some other things take place. And it's because we fall that that's, that's allowed to happen, that's able to happen, because right now we're the, we're the strongest nation on earth. And should we fall, it allows, you know, uh, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party and, and Russia and whoever else, you know, to rise and take our, take our place. So mm. I don't know, brother, I, I, I pray that it doesn't happen in my lifetime and that Jesus comes back before then. Amen. And folks, uh, we're just about out of time. What an amazing conversation. Uh, you're, you're such a great resource of knowledge and wisdom, Dr. Wallace. Folks, uh, this show and all shows are archived at truthandliberty.net. And I want to encourage you, tell people about this program. Uh, spread the word. Uh, and, and the people that would not agree with where we are, get them to listen because lives are changed one heart and mind at a time. And ultimately, as individuals are changed, nations are changed, and history is impacted. Folks, thanks for watching. Alex McFarland here, encouraging you to tell somebody about truth and liberty. Pray for our nation. Stay bold. Stand strong for the truth. But most importantly of all, tell everybody about Jesus. May God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.